Booker the drive, gets inside, leans in. Knocked away and stolen by Holiday. Phoenix has to foul. And a tentacle foul throws it down. And a foul. Giannis on the alley-oop. What a turnaround. The play that will live on in Bucks lore forever if they can close things out on Tuesday night in Game 6 at Pfizer Forum. Welcome in. It's the Doug Russell Podcast. So glad to have you along for what something... Look, I never thought that I would say, and there's still more work to be done. There's still 48 minutes of winning basketball to watch and root for and hope for. But the Milwaukee Bucks are one game away from their first NBA championship in 50 years. Uh, the Bucks beating the Phoenix Suns in Game 5 at the newly renamed Footprint Center. 123-119, uh, the final score. This game got off to the worst possible start for the Bucks. The Suns couldn't miss in the first quarter. And sometimes the first quarter is the harbinger of how things are going to go for the rest of the game. But in the first quarter... It was all Phoenix all the time. They shot 14 of 19 from the field, including 5 of 6 from the three-point line. The Bucks didn't shoot poorly at all. 9 of 21, that's 43%. 3 of 8 from beyond the arc, that's 37.5%. That's not bad. You'll take that. But the Suns, they were throwing it in from Tucson. They were, you know, chucking shots in from the Grand Canyon, and they weren't missing. Devin Booker. Uh, was five of nine in that first quarter. Jay Crowder made both of his free, uh, both of his three pointers, made all three of his shots. Mikael Bridges two for two, scoring five points. And then things turned around for the Bucks, and they turned around pretty dramatically. And they turned around almost on a dime. The Bucks outscoring the Suns forty three to twenty four in the second quarter, thirty six to twenty nine. In the third quarter, and by the time the fourth quarter rolled around, Milwaukee had a 10-point lead. But Phoenix wasn't done yet. They kept chipping away at it and chipping away at it. At one point, the Bucks had a 14-point lead. With nine minutes left to play in this ball game. the Bucks had a 14-point lead. And I think everybody felt really, really good about, okay, just don't do anything stupid that's going to lead to... A loss that you're going to be talking about forever. Why? Because we're Bucks fans, and we've seen this. Because we're Wisconsin sports fans, and we've seen this before. We've seen the Packers stop playing football with five minutes left to play in the 2014 NFC Championship game. We saw how that just frittered away. We saw them pee down their legs. We've seen the Brewers. You want to go all the way back to 1982? We saw the Brewers with a three games to two series lead in the World Series. Then they had to go back to St. Louis for two games, game six and seven. They got blown out in game six. And then they wound up losing game seven. They had a lead in game seven at one point. In 2018, the Brewers were one game away from going to the World Series against the Dodgers. They had a lead early in that game before Los Angeles came out, imposed their will, and won the National League pennant that night. So we've seen this before. We've been on the cusp so many times. We've seen the Wisconsin Badgers in the 2015 Final Four in the national championship game against Duke. They had some calls that didn't go their way. And the Badgers wound up losing in the Final Four, and they haven't come close to getting back there since, having gone to -to back-to-back Final Fours. We've been on the precipice. 
as Wisconsin sports fans. We talk about it all the time on the crossover. Noon until 3 on 97.3 The Game in Milwaukee, Fox Sports 1070 The Game in Madison, WNFL Radio in Green Bay. Also on in Duluth Superior in the Twin Ports, Rhinelander on WOBT. Around the state of Wisconsin. We talk about how Wisconsin sports fans are used to getting kicked in the nuts. We come so close and then just line them up and Mason Crosby just does his best you know, 50, yard, 50 yard field goal uh, try right in the cubes. We've seen it so many times. We thought we saw it in the Eastern Conference semifinals against the Brooklyn Nets. And the Bucks were able to, for whatever reason, pull up enough intestinal fortitude after getting blown out in Game 2 to come back and win that series in seven games. We've seen them play poorly in the first game against the Atlanta Hawks, and they won that one in six. But they had their moments of failure in that as well. We saw them take the Miami Heat, or the maybe I should put it this way, the Miami Heat in the first round take the Bucks to overtime in Game 1. For whatever reason, this Bucks team has to play from behind. They have to have some adversity right in front of them and play with pressure right in front of them before they flip that switch. The game on Saturday night, I think, was a microcosm, really, of this entire playoff series that's gone on for two months now. You get behind early, and then you just flip the switch. Here's the guy who flipped the switch. And look, there are flowers to go around for everybody. But we've been talking about Drew Holiday and his offensive struggles throughout this entire postseason. And he's had them. You go back specifically to game four. He was four of 20 from the field. Drew Holiday missed all five of his three-pointers. But he came up with a huge steal late in the game after Giannis's block. Everybody's going to remember Giannis's block, which is awesome. And it should be on a poster. And it should be memorialized maybe in a statue. Maybe it was the most important block in team history. Should certainly be on some T-shirts and it needs to have a name, whether it's Blockopolis or Sunblock 34 or whatever you clever folks want to come up with and, and have something and stick with it, uh, like the Valley Oop that the uh, Phoenix Suns had in Game 1 of the Western Conference semifinals against the, um, or Western Conference Finals, I guess I should say, against the L.A. Clippers. So you got to come up with something. But Drew Holiday, getting back to... My point about him, offensively, the shots just basically haven't been falling. There have been times when we've been, you know, wondering whether or not Milwaukee paid too high of a price for Drew Holiday. Is Drew Holiday going to be just another Eric Bledsoe? And I don't want to slander Eric Bledsoe. Eric Bledsoe's a good player, and he was a good player citizen when he was in Milwaukee I know that you know he when he wanted out of ironically enough when he wanted out of Phoenix because I mean Suns fans should be having a moment too because their team was rancid a couple of years ago but when Eric Bledsoe wanted out of Phoenix he came to Milwaukee and and fit in very well but they had postseason struggles they had postseason struggles two years ago in the Eastern Conference Finals against the Raptors and then last year 
in the bubble against the Heat, so they needed an upgrade. Andrew Holiday was a distinct upgrade, certainly defensively, but he was also someone who played smart basketball, uh, someone who was a good passer, someone who ran the floor well, and someone who didn't make dumb mistakes. And I'm not saying that missed shots are dumb mistakes, because I don't think they are. Missed shots are missed shots. But he missed a lot of shots in Game 4. Game 5, Drew Holiday, 12 of 20 from the field, made three of his six three-pointers. Where would the Bucks be without Drew Holiday's 27 points? And yeah, oh, by the way, there was this. That's the play of the season. Maybe the play of Drew Holiday's career. Maybe the play that when everything was going Phoenix's way in Game 5. And that's why they call it a pivotal Game 5. Because this whole series and this whole championship is going to pivot... Maybe on this game. Certainly, the Bucks have momentum. Certainly, after winning three in a row, including on the Suns' home floor, coming back to Game Six, where you know the Deer District is going to be late, uh, lit, I should say. I mean, Tim Scott and I were on the Palermo's post-game show on ninety-seven three of the game right after the uh, Bucks won Game Five. And Tim was on StubHub trying to see what the lowest ticket price he could find for Game 6 was. Right now, standing room only, just to get your fanny in the building, 1400 bucks. That's a house payment for standing room only. For a decent seat, God only knows. It's a fun time to be a Milwaukee Bucks fan because, yes, you want to be inside the building, but you don't have to be inside the the building. You can be in the Deer District. You can be in any of the pop-up Deer Districts that we've seen. We've seen them in Racine. We've seen them at the, the corners of Brookfield. There are watch parties going on all over the place because of the historical significance of what we're seeing right now. And I've said this a couple of times on the radio over the last week or so, but I remember a couple of things that stand out to me very, very vividly. I remember when the team was sold from Senator Cole to Mark Lasry and Wes Edens. I was in the West Atrium of the Bradley Center for that announcement. I was in the same place about a year later when we first saw the renderings of what would become not only Pfizer Forum, but the Deer District. And everybody says the right things. Everybody, when there's a sale or there's a new coach or there's a new big free agent that comes in, a new general manager, whatever the case, everybody says the same thing. We're here to win a championship. That's our goal. We wouldn't have bought the team if we didn't think that we could win a championship. Sounded fantastical at the time, right? Sounded like lip service, which is what new owners do. They give you lip service. And then when they, because we knew that they were, they they bought the team for the purpose of building a new arena here in Milwaukee, because it was kind of so much untapped potential that Other people saw that. I don't know that we all did, because when the renderings came out and Peter Fagan, I get relatively new at the time, Bucks team president was standing at the podium. Those renderings had 
people in them. Those renderings depicted an NBA Finals event at the new arena. It didn't have a name at the time, but what would become Pfizer Forum, what would become the Deer District. That was fantastical. You mean we're going to have this plaza where there's going to be bars that have life in them, that have people that want to come down to this urban blight of downtown Milwaukee that's been nothing but tumbleweeds even during the season, even when the Bucks were playing right next door at the Bradley Center? How many different bars were in that parking garage that's now occupied by all of those establishments that are there? You know, you've got the Mecca Sports Bar and Grill, which is an unbelievable space. A nod to the past, obviously. You've got Drink Wisconsin, I believe, that's down there. You've got that whole corridor that has the, the covered 40-foot screen where they show more than just Bucks games. They show Packers games there during the Packers season, Brewers playoff games. Remember the, when the Brewers were in the playoffs a couple of years ago, that was the place to be if you couldn't get to Miller Park. But it just seems like right now it's different, and I can't put my finger on exactly why. We're a great baseball town, and Milwaukee loves the Brewers. But I think that there's been this pent-up frustration with the Bucks that they started out so well in the 1970s. First year, obviously, 1968. But they won a championship in their third season as an NBA team. A couple of years later, they were back in the finals. They were still, a, they started to rebuild. They were green and growing. And then in the 1980s, they were a good team. They kept winning the Central Division, but they also kept getting bounced in the playoffs by either the Celtics or the 76ers. But at least they were competitive. At least they had good players. At least they had guys that you could identify with, whether it was Sidney Moncrief or Marcus Johnson. And then after the Marcus Johnson trade, you had Terry Cummings. You had guys like Paul Pressey. Jack Sikma came here. They were good players there for a long time. That played for the Bucks, And then Senator Cole bought the team. And Senator Cole, his legacy is always going to be a complicated one. Because on one hand, the Bucks would not be in Milwaukee. This is not opinion. This is fact. The Bucks would not be in Milwaukee if it weren't for Senator Cole. They first would have moved in 1985 to... Minneapolis, this was before the Timberwolves existed. They came in as an expansion team in 89, so the Bucks could have very well gone to Minnesota. That was the rumor at the time. There was an offer on the table at the time. In 2003, Michael Jordan wanted to buy the Bucks and move them to Las Vegas. Senator Cole almost sold the team then. And then finally, when he did sell in 2014, it was with the express statement that You have to commit to keeping the team in Milwaukee. Otherwise, I will not sell to you. Senator Cole could have gotten more for the Bucks than he did. But he took the $550 million, which is not an insignificant amount of money. Now, they're worth a lot more right now than they they were then. But he took a significantly less amount of money than he had to to keep the team in Milwaukee from Lazary and Edens. And Lazary and Edens, these New York guys, oh, here's these New York guys. So many times I think we're afraid in Milwaukee and in Wisconsin of people who aren't from here. But I always looked when I was asked about this, I was, I, what do you think of the new guys? I'm like, well, first of all, you have to give them a chance. 
Second of all, the last time that you brought in an out-of-town owner, it was the best possible thing for the Brewers. When Mark Adonacio bought the Brewers in 2004 from Bud Selig and his family and his the, the Selig Trust, when he purchased the team, he was looked at as a carpetbagger. He was looked at as a guy who's well, he's from Los Angeles, but his, he was grew up a Yankees fan in New York City. What's is he going to move the team? That's always the fear. Are they going to move the team? No, Mark Adonacio had a 30-year lease. At Miller Park, he wasn't going to move the team. He was going to improve the team. He was going to invest in the team because Bud Selig, again, there wouldn't be baseball in Milwaukee without him. Not a statement of anything other than fact. That's not an opinion. That's a fact. There would be no Milwaukee Brewers baseball if it weren't for Bud Selig. But he was, for all intents and purposes, not a great owner. Lowballed Paul Molitor. In 1987, they could have gotten a starting pitcher to help get them to the playoffs. Bud Sealy didn't want to spend the money. I mean, that's that's just the fact of the matter. Not a great owner, but they wouldn't exist without him. You can say the same thing about Bud's lifelong friend, Herb Cole. The Bucks sucked when Herb Cole was their owner for a variety of reasons. Now, they were good in 2001. They almost got to the NBA Finals. They came within a game of going to the NBA Finals. We all remember that game against the Philadelphia 76ers. Scott Williams suspended after his forearm shiver of Allen Iverson. A questionable decision made by the NBA. Conspiracy theorists saying that they didn't want to have tiny little pissant Milwaukee in the Finals when you could have Philadelphia and Allen Iverson against Shaq and Kobe and the Lakers. That was the narrative at the time. So outside of that year, and it you know disintegrated right afterwards, the worst trade in franchise history, maybe the worst trade in state sports history, giving away Ray Allen in his prime, someone who wasn't unhappy here for 20 games of Gary Payton and his shitty attitude. Yeah, Bucks fans have been kicked in the nuts a lot over the years. Some of the players that then wound up stealing Senator Cole's money as last chance free agents, you know, guys like Steven Jackson, who's a pain in the ass when he was here, Corey Maggette, J.J. Redick, Richard Jefferson, not a bad guy, but, you know, it was, and every year it was somebody like that, somebody who'd been in the NBA who had some success, and now he's coming to the Bucks to be the heaven-sent team savior of the franchise. Drew Gooden, Samuel D'Alembert, Monte Ellis. Remember these guys? Remember when the big free agent signing that the Bucks made was Greg Monroe? And he chose the Bucks over the Lakers? He wants to be in Milwaukee. Things have changed. Milwaukee is a destination. So people can, and I hear this from Bucks employees sometimes, who I like and respect an awful lot. I really do. But sometimes in private, I hear complaints about all oh, these New York guys. They have their New York ways. Well, their New York ways have taken this franchise from the Siberia of sports to one of the marquee franchises in the world. They went from the worst facilities in the NBA to the best. Didn't happen overnight, but almost happened in rapid succession. 
the old Cousins Center where the Bucks used to practice, it had a roof that leaked. Chris Middleton, during practice, slipped on the floor because the roof leaked and tore his hamstring off the bone. That's how shitty the facilities that the Bucks, an NBA team, had. Nobody wanted to come here. Nobody wanted to make Milwaukee their destination. But for years, I had also said that the one thing that the Bucks lacked more than anything else was luck. Everybody would have taken Andrew Bogut number one overall in the 2005 NBA draft. It was universal. There was no question he was going to be the number one overall pick. But also sitting there at number three was Chris Paul, who's had the better NBA career. Well, I think that's pretty obvious. And Chris Paul's still looking for his first NBA championship ring. I hope it doesn't happen this year. He's had a Hall of Fame career. Andrew Bogut has not. The Bucks could have been much better off with Chris Paul than Andrew Bogut. But luck of the draw didn't work out that way. The luck happened when 14 teams passed on this lanky kid from Greece. There were other teams that wanted him. Dallas Mavericks wanted him. The Atlanta Hawks wanted him. But the Bucks had that 15th overall selection, and they were able to nab him. Here's the other part of that, though, about luck. Sometimes you create your own luck. John Hammond had the, the foresight to go scout him in Greece. But he also found a kid, and that's what he was. He was an 18-year-old kid. But he came over here and had the best work ethic you'll ever see. No superstar has ever worked harder. Giannis is all about basketball. He's all about basketball. He's all about family. Those are the two things that are most important to him. Family first, and then basketball. He doesn't spend money. He just doesn't. Bought a nice house because he deserves a nice house. He's going to start making $50 million a year next season. Sign the Supermax. But his family likes it here. His brothers moved here. His parents moved here. His father passed away a couple of seasons, or a couple of years ago. His mom still lives here and probably always will live here. They're comfortable here because... Giannis has said he doesn't need Los Angeles or New York to be a worldwide superstar, and he doesn't. You're a worldwide superstar in Los Angeles. Great. You got to fight traffic every day. Are you on ESPN? Maybe a little bit more. I, I don't know anymore because the Bucks are on the precipice of a world championship, and LeBron and the Lakers aren't. So I think I've riffed enough about Game 5. Uh, just some incredible performances. Overall, Giannis's legend is growing and will continue to grow. Uh, Giannis had some cramping, by the way, uh, after Game 5. So it took him a while to get to the podium to talk to reporters. But when he finally did, I want to bring you that uninterrupted conversation that he had with the assembled media at the Footprint Center in Phoenix, Arizona. I guess we'll just start with the day. You, you've talked so much about staying in the moment, staying focused and present. How difficult was that to start your day with your brother and to kind of learn his situation and that type of thing before, before a finals game. Um, it, it was extremely, it was extremely difficult uh, because, you know, I know how bad he, you know, he wanted to be here and, you know, to help the team 
be around the team and cheer for the team and, you know, give, you know, the energy that he always gives to everybody, you know, because everybody feels his energy, you know. Um, but at the end of the day, we got we got to do, you know, we got to do our job. You know, we got to come out here and, uh, you know, try to play good basketball, try to, you know, try to, you know, win the game, you know. And uh, as much as he, it hurts, like, you know, uh, everybody that he's not, you know, not here and me even more, but, like, Still got to do our job. Still, still, you know, we know that he's supporting us. Um, he was, you know, sending me messages, you know, uh, personally. So, you know, we, we we were able to do our job, even though he, he was not here to, you know, give that energy he gives all the time from the bench. Um, I, well, speaking of the, the bench, to open the second quarter, um, what did you – was that – what was your vantage point? What did you see from your teammates as they – started that run and then even when but you know there was a timeout in there but kind of decided to roll with it and, and mm-hmm. have you still kind of sit there yeah you know, uh, great momentum uh we were able to keep our composure we we're making shots we we're getting downhill we we're defending you know we're done you know we we're down 16 you know and you know that's what our team is about you know you can go the other way you can be like oh yeah okay you know, this is not the night, but no, we, we kept playing hard, especially that group that came back to the game. They kept moving the ball. They kept getting open shots. Um, they were knocking it, knocking it down, too. So they played great. They played great in that, that stretch. Eric on the right. Uh, did the hotel room survive? I feel like the nest would be jumping on, like, the bed, like, throwing couches around. Like I, I think just because I know him a little bit better, He's probably he was probably screaming in front of the uh, the TV, and probably you know in the last possession he probably took his shirt off and, you know started playing defense, sweating you know jumping in the bed. But like um, yeah, but you know after the game when the game was over he FaceTimed me. I could see you know that he was he was extremely happy like he was watching every single moment of the game and he was cheering all on. So um, yeah. Uh, can you walk me through the steal by Drew? I mean, like we talked the other night about your defensive block and that steal, I feel like is kind of on the same level as far as importance. Yeah, yeah it was big time, big time, big time still. Um, showing crowd, let him get to a spot and he came from behind and ripped the ball off and, uh, you know, he could go down down um, to the other end and just you know, go for like a full play, run the clock down. But he, he you know, he trusted me and he made the incredible pass also uh, for the lob. So it was big time, big time play. It was the winning play of the game. Um, but we, we, that's what we need from Drew. We need him to keep defending. We need him to keep being great offensively. But like things like that, that's what makes him a lead. He said you yelled at him. Yeah. When did you know you had the lane? Um... I saw him going, then I saw Chris Paul, and then I started sprinting, and I uh, saw so nobody was around me. So he didn't want to throw me the ball at first, but I was like, throw it, throw it, throw it. And then uh, he he threw it, he trusted me. you know. And after the game, I was like, thank you for trusting me, you know, because he could go anyway. He could throw it and, you know, make a wrong pass, and that's going to be on him because the point guard, whenever, you know, coach is going to say you're supposed to keep the ball, you know, but he trusted me. He knew that I'm going to finish the play, and um, that says a lot to me, you know. And uh, you know, I went up to the game after the game, and I told him that too. Over to Ben on the right. Uh, Giannis, you've seen how the city has 
kind of rallied around you guys, 25,000 people watching outside. Winning this one here tonight, what's it mean to, you know, go home and have a chance to win an NBA title in front of the home fans? Oh, man, it means a lot, man, but I can't I can, I can get too carried away. You know, I got to stay in the present. Um, can't worry about the outcome, but, like, you know, obviously we know what the deal is. is one game away from, you know, um, being an NBA champ, you know, being in um, the history of this game, you know, being always there. They, you know, nobody can take that away from you. Um, and, you know, doing it for our, in front of our families and our fans, um, it's big. It's going to be big, but, you know, that's, that can wait. We got to focus and keep playing good basketball. We got to go back home. We got to recover. I got to, you know, grab some burgers, eat something right now because I'm hungry. Um, and then we got to watch the clip and uh, watch the clips and see what we did well, what we didn't do well, what can we do better, and um, the steps to it before the game, right? And um, if we do all those things right and we are disciplined, once the game started and we play good basketball, we have the energy of the fans because we know they're going to be loud and we have an opportunity um, to win the NBA championship, it's going to be amazing to do it in front of our fans. But there's, there's more steps until we get there. You know, but uh, to answer your question, it's going to be it's going to be amazing. It's going to be awesome to do it in front of our fans. But the steps to it. Marika in the back. I, I have two for you, Giannis. The, the mental discipline that you're talking about of not focusing on the outcome, something that you've, you've talked about that you've worked on to kind of refocus and not necessarily be as outcome oriented. How much of a test is that now? One win away for that process for you? It's it's it's, it's a test. It's a big, it's a big test. And um, you got to enjoy the moment, okay? We have to enjoy the moment. Like winning a game on the road, we have to enjoy the moment. But the job is not done. We have to all realize that, you know? And uh, we got to stay in the present. It doesn't mean we're going to go back home and win game six, you know? Probably Phoenix thought the same thing. They're going to come back home and win game five, come to Milwaukee, try to win again, you know? But but we we got we to gotta stay humble, you know, we got to be in the present. We got to stay humble as much as possible. You know, I feel like when we, where this team is humble, this team is very, very dangerous. You know, and I think we play we play at our best when we are humble. Um, so we just got to, we got the steps to it, as I said. And when the game starts, we got to take position at a time. And hopefully we can be in a position to win the game. If we're in a good position to win the game, we have great closers in our team. Drew, Chris, me that, you know, we have opportunity to win the game. And I'm just wondering the resilience that this team has showed, whether it was tonight in a being big down big in a quarter, or if it's being down 0-2, is that a learned behavior or is that innate to learn as a team to be this resilient? Uh, I feel like we, we don't stop. I feel like, you know, um, I've been, I've been a part of different teams, you know, usually when you're down 15, or 16 or whatever, down 0-2 or whatever the case might be, you kind of stop. You kind of like, you know, um, kind of stop competing, you know, in a, in a way. But I feel like this team, we, we don't do that. You know, we, we haven't done this that um, all year long, I think. I can't remember. I can't go that back. But, like, we keep competing, you know. And uh, as I said uh, in the last press conference, like, it, we, we didn't know we were going to win this game. We like we could still compete, compete, compete until you know the last minute and still lose the game. But it's all about that. We don't stop. 
we keep coming, you know, um, uh, and that's, this team does that so well. You know, even we down 0-2, we down 0-1, we down 16 uh, points. We keep coming, we keep competing because we know the game is long, it's 48 minutes. And we have, we, have, we, we always try to put ourselves in a position to win the game. That's all you can ask for. You, you go into a game, you don't know if you're going to win the game. Well, we know if we compete for 48 minutes, we, we, are, we are good. We have great players, great, great closers, great shooters, great rebounders, great defenders. We have a great coach, and uh, we know that uh, we can put ourselves in a position to win the game. Sam in the middle. Two for you, Giannis. Um, first of all, what you were dealing with when you first came in, is it cramping? Is it something else? You, you yeah, I was a little bit dehydrated. Okay. I was a little bit dehydrated, man. I'm, I'm a softie. You know, but it's okay. Well, you got me hungry now. The burgers sound good. Yeah, with some French fries, huh? Some there French fries. Go. We know where to go. We'll meet you there. Um, a lot of the mental stuff you talked about yesterday, it seemed like it was coming to fruition in the later moments of this game. So you you list uh, two free throws with a minute to go, and Monty ices you. Jay Crowder bumps you on the way to the line. Chris Paul seemed like he tried to get at you a little bit. I love it. <laughs> so – they're trying to get under your skin, but you obviously you can't disengage because seconds later, Drew's trying to find you above the rim, you know, for the play of the game. Mm-hmm. Is, is that a lot of what you talked about yesterday? Uh, yeah, it's, it's been the moment. You know, it's, I'm not going to lie. You know, I'm always real. You know, I feel like that's what uh, makes me who I am. I'm always real. Sometimes I go to the, you know, uh, free throw line and I'm, I was, I'm nervous a little bit, you know. Uh, but this time I wasn't nervous at all. Because I was so much dialed in, I just missed, you know. And uh, but I'm happy. With it. I mean, like I, I live with it because I shoot my, I shot my routine. I did exactly what I always do, and I, I just missed, you know. But uh, you know, there's gonna be times that you know, um, you know, they're gonna talk. Uh, the your opponent player is gonna talk. The crowd gonna yell. But uh, just gotta keep playing through that. Gotta keep playing. Keep keep your composure. Just keep trying to do whatever is possible to help the team win. Like, even when, you know, we missed, we were able to still tip the ball back to uh, Chris, and he he made them. You know, I could put my head down and just be like, ah, oh, missed the free throw, whatever the case might be. You know, but no, you know, I kept, you know, kept playing. You know, that's, what, that's, that's, what, that's what I do. That's, you know, how I'm built. We've got time for two more. We're going to Rohan and then Jeff. Uh, Giannis, you mentioned Drew trusting you on that lob play, on that last sequence. I'm just curious, why did you want the lob there? How come you didn't want him to run out the clock? Uh, you know, what was going through your mind? Why did you call for that? Exactly. Lob? I don't know. <laughs> you you know, I, I was so in the moment. You know, I wasn't worried about the clock. I wasn't worried about the crowd. I wasn't worried about nothing. I was worried about I had the open lane, you know, throw it up, you know, and, um, and he trusted me. Now, if we put it all down now, there was like, what, 20 seconds on the clock? Yeah, Drew, if you put it all down and you go, you know, traditionally, yeah, pull it back out, give the ball to Chris, let's run a high pick and roll, and it's probably going to follow him. You know, he's going to go to the free throw line. But, I was, you know, sometimes when you're so much in the moment, you, you just react. Last question to Jeff. Giannis, you've talked a lot about trust um, during this series. This is Drew's first year w- with the team. What were the things that led to you trusting him, knowing that maybe if he has a off bad night offensively, he contributes other ways? How how did that trust develop? Um, 
there. And then maybe if you can describe what it takes for his defensive effort to do what he has to do on a nightly basis. Yeah. You know, he takes a lot out of his body to do what he does in a nightly basis. Pick, um, you know, the point guard up, full court, then bring the ball up, put the whole team in uh, in order, in position, execute, try to score, try to get downhill, try to find the the open man, like, it's 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 a lot, you know, and and um, but we trust him that he, he can do that. Uh, but one thing, the great thing about Drew is that he can affect the game in a lot of ways. He can have an off night, but he can defend. Like like game uh, game four, he didn't have his best offensive night, but he was so good defensively. He got the he got the steal at the end uh, uh, from Chris Paul. Chris, Chris Paul, I think so. And he got the steal today, too. You know, he can affect the game in so many ways, you know, and um, it says a lot. Uh, you know, I love being uh, teammates with him, and I hope moving forward we can be teammates for a lot of years. Giannis, after the game, he scored 32 points on 14 of 23 from the field, also pulled down nine rebounds, just four of 11 from the free throw line. Still struggles with that, but... Most important thing was the Bucks got the win again, one twenty three to one nineteen. But again, the biggest story for me in this one was Drew Holiday. His turnaround, twenty seven points that the Bucks had to have. Twelve of twenty shooting, three of six from beyond the arc. The huge steal at the end. Drew Holiday also met the media after the game was over. Just for you on that final play, what did you see on it that you thought you might be able to get the rep and and get in there and get that steal? Um, honestly, it was great team defense. Uh, felt like we knew. Booker wanted to take that last shot, and <clears throat> Tuck played great defense on him and made him turn his back and turn right into me. So uh, I guess I was just in the right place at the right time. Is there anything in this series that you've seen, like, that spin from him that you knew, like, hey, this might be – like, if Tuck can turn him, he's going to come back this way? Like, was there anything like that? Because everyone's talked about how it's just, like, an instinctual play that, like, only Drew could make. So I'm curious for you. Like, what led your instincts to that? Nah, at first I thought he was going to shoot it, and I was going to be behind him to try to contest and, and maybe try to bother him. But uh, once he pump faked, I just felt like I should stay down and literally turned into me. So, um, again, right place at the right time. Malika? Drew, Giannis told us that for him, watching that block that was so big against DeAndre Ayton, that's not something that he was interested in doing because it was living in the past, not looking forward. I'm wondering what your philosophy is. Are you going to go back and are you going to watch that steal that you had or are you already kind of looking towards what you need to do in game six or is it both? Um, I'm going to go back and watch the game. It's not going to be particularly that play. Uh, But I think going back, watching the game, um, learning things that we can do better. Uh, We had a pretty big lead for for a while and what we can do to kind of control the game a little bit better uh had a rough start what we can do to to not have that anymore so uh yeah not particularly that play but whatever we can do to to get better for this next game and then for getting better for this next game i mean it's a lot of folks say that closeout games whether it's in a series of the title are the toughest to win what do you do to prepare for that how do you process that just continually lock in um we felt like from after that second game, we knew that we'd get better and, gra- and gradually get better, and we feel like we have every single game. Um, we came into Phoenix and got a win, which is really hard. This is a tough place to play. The crowd is, is insane. So um, we really just got to lock in, not get too high, not get too low. Over to Zoom for two questions. Next question will be from Ramona Shelburne, followed by David Aldridge. Hey, Drew, how's it going? 
Yeah. Hey, I'm just wondering, you know, you, we, we always talk about aggressiveness with you and you get all sorts of questions about that, but who's in your ear, you know, in between these games, in between these, in these series telling you, you know, how to, how to, how to manage that, how to manage, like, you know, your shot's not falling or, or it is falling. Who, 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 who do you get advice from? Um, everybody. Uh, my brothers, uh, my wife, my parents. <laughs> um, I think during the game, though, most of the time it's probably uh, Vin Baker. Um, Vin Baker's always in my ear, continuing to tell me to be aggressive, uh, continuing to tell me to pick up full court and make it hard on uh, hard on Chris and Book, uh, continuing to tell me that that I'm the greatest. So, uh, yeah, I give a lot of credit to him. What is what's your what's your dad say? Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, my dad thinks I'm the best player in the world, so uh, he wants me to take more shots, which there are a lot of them <laughs> that I do pass up, but. Um, take more shots. He he just feels like I can do everything. Um, play 48 <laughs> minutes. I don't need to come out. I don't need a, re- I don't need a break. Um, but really just be aggressive the whole game. That's a good dad. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> uh, hey, Drew, um, after the, after you rip Booker, I mean, you, you bring the ball up past midcourt, you know, most guys would have pulled it out, waited to get fouled in that situation. What, what, what got you to, I'm going to throw this oop to, to Giannis. Um, well, that's what I was going to do. Uh, and Chris, I think, kind of played in between, but Giannis took off, and he was calling for the ball. So at that point, I just threw it as high as I could, and only where Giannis could go get it, and he he went up there and got it. <laughs> was there was there any part of you that thought, oh, I might have thrown a little too high in that one? Nah, nah. He's, uh, I mean, they don't call him the freak for nothing, so uh, I, th- I threw it as high as I could. Brian to the left. You guys are rolling so much offensively for the second and third quarter. Does your mind ever wonder, okay, we might not have to really lock in today. We might actually win this game offensively. And then all of a sudden when it does get close, is it hard to all of a sudden, you know, make that kind of play when you haven't had to rely on it for the last, you know, 15, 20 minutes? Um, no. I think we always have a have a hand or our mind is always on defense. Um, I feel like that's why we've got to this point now. Um we know that they have great scores over there, and and man, Book is—he's in some tough shots, and a lot of the times there's nothing you could do about it. So, um, I do think that we always have a, our our mindset on defense, but uh, when we get rolling on both ends, I feel like that's kind of where we kind of get into our groove. Uh, you see Pat making big plays, uh, Giannis in transition, Chris knocking down threes, um, Bobby flexing on people. So it's a uh, yeah, I, I feel like. When, when we're in a groove like that, we, we kind of keep our heads on. Yes, offensively we're going, but defensively we, we still need to lock in. Tim on the left. Drew, you've been consistent all the way through the playoffs that whenever you have an off-shooting night, you're going to come back and do the same thing again. Was there anything different about today in terms of how you guys as a group got going, and in particular in that second quarter when you really kind of took control offensively? Um, no. I think we're. I think it all started with stops. Um, that first quarter, they – came out hitting and they were hot uh crowd was into it um I, I feel like we got stops and started playing fast playing faster um it's a lot easier to play faster when the ball's not going through the hoop so um getting stops getting down transition uh just making plays and and you know, that's how we like to play rohan here on the right uh true speaking of your offense obviously you had some ups and downs up until this game and you had your best offensive game when the shots are are falling like they were tonight did you feel a sense of relief to a degree at the beginning of the game, or does that thought not really cross your mind? It doesn't really cross my mind. Um, 
I feel like at the end of the day, whatever I can do to help my team is, is most important. Um, I went four for 20 the game before, and we still won. Uh, I know that I can do other things to affect the game. So, uh, But when my shot is going and I'm, and I'm trying to make plays for others, uh, it is definitely an added bonus. Sam in the middle. Drew, about a minute left. Uh, Giannis misses those free throws. A few of you guys seem like you went and checked on him. I just wonder, like, is it to the point where you know, even if he has a tough moment like that, that you don't question how locked in he's going to be? I mean, because that oop, obviously, he's he's got to be with you to complete that play. Yeah, we definitely don't question how locked in he is. Um, I think Monty, uh, Monty did a good job of trying to ice him, too. Uh, that first free throw he missed, and they called that timeout. And, you know, these timeouts are really, really long. But um, I think they just did a good job. And But Giannis goes up there with confidence every time. You can see it in his face. So um, we definitely had confidence in him. I thought he was going to make both of them. Jim? Hey, Drew. Um, going back to the second quarter, you guys are down 16 to start. Um, Giannis is on the bench. 11-3 run. They call timeout. I mean, it's not often that Bud kind of decides Giannis can still sit here. What was what did that say to you guys? I guess as that at group of five, as you're making that run to to get back in the game, um, we had it going. Uh, we had a groove and and just continue to make things happen. Um, I feel like we were playing for each other, and um, when you're out there doing that, it, I don't know. Sometimes you have to just stick with the people that are out there. Um, yes, Giannis adding them back into that. I feel like that's where the lead really went up. But when you have guys out there making plays and doing all that, it's uh, sometimes you just got to stay with it. Paolo? Hey, Drew. Um, you know, you obviously put in a lot of, of work in the offseason, season, both, both on and off the court. And I'm, I'm curious, at this level, in this stage, are there things that happen during a game or things you find yourself doing that you can kind of trace back to something you added in the offseason or worked on that feels especially rewarding, especially in this stage? Honestly, I think it's everything. I think offseason is one of the hardest times. Uh, it's where you push yourself. It's... Uh, Honestly, where you push yourself to the limit to know how far you can go. And then getting to this point, I feel like it's kind of the reward. Um, being able to be on the stage uh, at this time in front of these crowds and, and playing against this team. Um, yeah, man, it's it's definitely a blessing to be able to just be healthy and be out there and playing. Ben to the left. Uh, you mentioned Pat. He's been big the last couple games. Just how does his skill set kind of blend around you, Giannis, and Chris? Yeah, he doesn't uh, – he doesn't need much. Um, he doesn't need to. He doesn't need the ball all the time. Um, he knocks down open shots. Um, he's gritty. He gets there into the paint and, and offensive rebounds, big defensive rebounds, and um, he's one of those role players that honestly is reliable. Uh, one of the most reliable that we have on our team. So um, Pat's been huge for us this whole year, and, and he'll continue to do that. Final question from Eric. Um. You missed a chunk of time this year with COVID, right? And uh, I'm curious for you, you mentioned like just the idea of being healthy and being able to do this right now. Like what it, does this feel like now you're playing 40 plus minutes, Paul Booker, when you first came back, you were talking about, Hey, my stamina ain't right. Like I'm right. not exactly where I need to be. Like, what does this kind of journey just feel like to be like, yeah, I can go 40 minutes and both those dudes, like I got them. Um, I feel like it now is just, you got to get your all. Like, we're literally coming down to the last game or game or two. Um, at this point, there's no excuses. Um, as long as I don't foul out, uh, I feel like I'm going to be out there on the court and I'm going to get my all on both ends of the floor.
when Bud took you out early, what did that kind of do to you, just like from like a mentality standpoint? Because when you came back on the floor, you were obviously very aggressive, which can be tough. Like when you have that early foul trouble and you get taken out early. Um, I just thought I needed to play smarter. Um, I forget the first foul, but the second foul on Chris, really smart, smart player. Uh, he does that where he coming off the screen and he just stops and, and falls. That, that, that's a foul. So, uh, honestly, just play smarter. Um, but I know I'm going to be back in there soon. So, uh, when I got, when I go back in there not to pick up my third quick, just really just try to be as smart as I can. Drew Holiday, an incredible night for him, a good bounce back offensive night for him. And then, of course, with the, uh, steal as well. 27 points on 12 of 20 shooting in the Bucks game five win. Uh, also, uh, meeting the media at the podium, Pat Connaughton. He made four of six free, th- uh, three pointers, scored 14 points. Uh, two of two from the free throw line as well. He was everything the Bucks needed to have. This was a guy who also pulled down six huge rebounds for the Bucks as well. He met the media along with teammate Chris Middleton. 29 points for deuces on 12 of 23 shooting, 3 of 8 from beyond the arc. The two met the media together. I guess we'll just start with the you know their first quarter 16-point lead to start the second Um you know, you guys are on the court. Giannis is on the bench. What um, that twenty-five to one, five, twenty-one to five run there? What what was happening? What turn? What kind of? I know Drew was was really involved. But what did you both kind of see in that that early part of the second quarter there? Just playing a little bit faster. Um, definitely helped with a couple more stops. Um, you know, limit some of their threes. Um, but yeah, I think definitely playing fast and moving it side to side a little bit more helped us out. Pat, I mean, can you guys speak to Monty called timeout there when you guys went on eleven three run? I mean, that's not usual, I would have guessed, for Bud to not put Giannis back in the game after for six minutes, so to speak. So what was that kind of like, I guess, that feel, that vibe where Bud's just kinda like this group is is rolling, so let's just kinda go with it. Yeah, I mean I think coach has a feel for it every game. You know, uh we have lineups that um you know are are in rhythm and in making runs and, and he kinda lets us ride. He, oftentimes Giannis is in the game for those runs but um, it just shows that uh, you know we got a true team and uh, we have Giannis's back just like he has our back and um, you know we were moving the ball we were playing defense we were doing things that Bucks basketball does so it doesn't really matter who's on the floor for it question from Eric up front I know maybe it doesn't look as spectacular as Giannis's block but that steal by Drew is something where I just want to ask you like what did you see and kind of what are you thinking as he's dribbling down the other way I kind of saw the tail end of it. I just seen uh, him just – I just saw the last pair of the rip, um, rip it out of his hands. And um, once he's a loose ball, most of the time Drew's going to get it. He's got great in- instincts, great hands. Um, and then once he's on the fast break with Giannis, uh, I feel like we got, you know, good chances with either one finishing. Pat, can, I think that was like the third time he had just ripped somebody clean in that game. Just what have you gotten to know about Drew? I know you guys knew going in he's a great defender and that's what you're adding to this team, but just what did you see this year and kind of get to like a better feel for what Drew can really bring? Yeah, I mean, I, I saw it in Portland uh, when he was in New Orleans and we got swept in the first round. Just the way that he defends on a nightly basis, the way that he's able to do it in different ways. Um, you know, he's physical, he's quick. Um, he's strong. He's got a lot of things to him. He's got quick hands. So, um, you know, it was uh, first team all defensive play. It was a defensive play of the year. It was, um, you know, it just kind of shows we're built on defense. Uh, the last two games, uh, we've had a big defensive stop to, to kind of push us over the hump, and uh, they've been made by the two guys who are first team all defense. Ben up front. 
how much are you guys aware of the you know Bucks and Six mantra that Bucks fans have kind of adopted this year, and and what's it mean that you guys are going home for the chance to win in six games? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> we don't really care if it's Bucks in whatever. We just want it to be Bucks, right? So, um, you know, I think it's been great to rally the the fan base. I mean, I think they've actually had it for a few years. Uh, um, so it's it's been a cool thing to to hear and see. But at the end of the day, we go out there every single night trying to win, try to represent the city of Milwaukee to the best of our ability. Um, and, you know, we got to do it again. The job's not done. It was a great win tonight. And, uh, you know, we had each other's backs and there was ebbs and flows to the game that, um, you know, I think really brought us together and shows that we can fight through adversity. But uh, we still got one more. Malika? Nice shirt, Pat. Uh, Chris, I have two for you, even though you, again, came up with a partner. Um, first, I, you've had big individual nights in this series. Giannis has had big individual nights. Pat's come up with clutch shots. But to have you, Drew, Giannis, Pat, all kind of get going at the same time, what, what does that do and what helped you find that extra gear? It just makes everything more balanced, um, for sure. It makes life easier on everybody, knowing that, you know, we play together. We have everybody clicking on all cylinders. Um, we're tough to guard. Um, and then on defensive side, we're always we, – we can click. We can switch. Um, we, we know how to, you know, have each other's back. But um, when we're all playing well, we're, at, we're one of the best teams, for sure. And you've so clearly left it out there these last two games, especially. There was a moment in the fourth that kind of reminded me of that image of Jimmy Butler where you were just draped over the the side. I mean, what for you this next day before getting ready for the biggest game of your career, what does that look like in terms of recovery and and how you're currently feeling? Just a lot of fluids. I was just cramping a little bit, Um, something that I've been going through a lot. Um, Just got to play through it and drink a lot of fluids. Um, Stay with my recovery plan. Just leave it all out there, like you said. Sleep well. <laughs> yeah. Tim on the left. Uh, for both of you guys, obviously that play at the end was a pretty spectacular play from Drew, but he hit shots you know, in that second quarter really throughout the game. You guys have been talking all series about you were waiting for him to kind of have a breakout game. How good did it feel to kind of see him get going early and kind of spark that comeback in the second quarter? It was great. Uh, one of the things we talk about all the time in our lock- locker room is aggressive Drew. Um, when he's aggressive, um, he's one of the tougher point guards to, to handle his size, athleticism, um, his skill set. Um, he can do so many things on the court when he's aggressive as far as, you know, getting into the paint, hitting shots like we saw tonight, and then finding guys. Um, you know, he's a balanced player and a really skilled player that, you know, we're lucky to have. Over to Peter on Zoom. Next question will be from Mark Schwarz. For both of you guys, you know, Pat, you broke down what, uh, you know, his credentials as a defender and defensive team. But what about the instincts, both of the strip and then of what he did after he stripped it? Yeah, I mean, it's it's who he is. He's a winner. Um, he makes winning plays. Uh, their defense, their offense, they're all over the court. Um, he's a great teammate to, uh, off the court. He's a great teammate on the court. His skill set, like Chris said, his strength, his athleticism, um, but that was an instinctual play. You know, he saw uh, time score. He saw uh, D. Book trying to go downhill, and on the spin, he just had the ability to, to hand-eye coordination, find the ball, rip it, uh, and then understand the time and score on the other other side. You know, come down, there's a lot of guys that would uh, dribble it out and uh, try to waste more time, but he knew the time, he knew the score, and he knew, uh, you know, a bucket would kind of be a backbreaker, and uh, he threw it to where there may only be one or two individuals in the world that could get it. Question from Eric. Chris, can you right? follow up on that? 
You said me? You said you follow up on it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, the same way I guess Pat really described it as great instincts. Um, you know, going against him, he's a tough cover. He anticipates moves, um, knows what, he, what you like to do. And then, like I said before, on the offensive, I mean, he's strong. Um, you feel that strength on the defensive side, too. Um, he's quick. And like I say, he studies the game. Um, they're on the offensive break. Like I say, he's one of the best finishers in the game at you know his position, but he's also one of the better playmakers also in reading you know, who to throw it to, whether to fake in and go um, or just throw it up to Giannis. Eric? Chris, what did you see when they started to send that double to you on? It felt like every pick and roll, like that double was coming pretty hard. How did you feel like you guys handled it as the game went on? Uh, yeah, they've been doing that, you know, ran- randomly throughout the series. Um, and, you know, my job is, you know, once I see two on me, find that open guy, um, you know, let them uh, make the rest of the plays. That's all my job is once I see two is just, you know, to give it up to the open guy um, and let them attack. Talked a lot about Drew, but also it felt like Giannis kind of had that composure where is either he was going to beat him off the bounce, he was going to get to his turnaround. Like, just what did you see from him? It felt like kind of like a complete offensive performance from him. No, yeah, he, he did a great job. Um, you know, the same randomness with the, you know, the traps on the pick and rolls. They double teamed him um, randomly on the block um, throughout the game. And a couple of times during, during the season, he's been doing a great job of knowing when, you know, he could sometimes beat it, um, knowing when they are coming and find that outlet out, um, letting us attack on the backside. And then also um, knowing when they're not coming. Um, yeah, I mean, he's done a great job for sure. Jim to the right. Chris, um, I, I, this won't show up in the box score, but I'm just curious. I, so after Chris got within one with that layup to make it 120-119, and you, got, you had to call timeout, um, and then Drew gets the ball up with five seconds on the shot clock. I guess you guys really haven't been in that kind of spot since Brooklyn where there was that kind of confusion there. So you guys talk about getting better and stuff like that. What, how important was that of just court awareness, clock awareness, knowing where, you know what I mean? And I know it ended up in a missed shot coming out of it to set yeah. up that steal, but that's, I would imagine those few seconds were. For sure. Um, that's one of the main things we talked about uh, coming out of timeouts, you know, when we run our play, knowing that we have five seconds on the shot clock. Um, you know, the the first, second, and third option wasn't there. Drew did a great job recognizing that he just got to pit it up, um, get a shot up, up, get a shot attempt up, at least give us a chance to, for, us, uh, for him to make it, um, an offensive rebound. If not, um, at least we got a, a shot up and just get back on defense, basically. I mean, even for you, it was a timeout, right? Because I'm sure you're looking for your shot to not uh, yeah. try to force it out or, or put. Yeah, uh, I've had a couple bad turnovers, you know, um, throughout my career for sure. Um, throughout this season, uh, I can't remember um, this postseason, but knowing that I don't have a clean shot, I don't trust my, my passes in the deep corner. I uh, don't want to give a breakaway layup to somebody. Just stay calm, stay composed, knowing that we have a, a timeout or two left. Final question on Zoom. Next question will be from Davide. Hey, guys, this is for either one of you. Um, how much the experience you guys had in the past two years and in this playoffs help you prepare for this moment? Yeah, I think fighting through adversity. Um, you know, the last few years, obviously, um, you know, which I've said a few times, we uh, were the best team in the league during the regular season. And uh, when adversity hit in the playoffs, we weren't able to really get through it. Um, you know, I think this year we learned from some adversity that hit in the regular season and throughout these playoffs when adversity has hit, uh, whether it be over the course of the series, whether it be over a course of an individual game, a quarter, whatever it might be, um, you know, we've come together even stronger. We've had each other's backs even more. We've uh, made sure that we've made the plays together, both offensive 
offensively and defensively. And I think, um, you know, that's what championship caliber basketball is all about. It's about having each other's backs. Adversity is going to hit at some point in time, but how do you respond to it? How do you respond to it individually? And how do you respond to it collectively uh, to try to put us in a position to win? Chris Middleton and Pat Connaughton meeting the media after the Bucks game. Five win, 123-119. to 119. Finally, time now to hear from Bucks head coach Mike Budenholzer. I guess through that sequence, obviously he gets a steal, but then also the alley-oop with the shot clock off. Yeah, no, I mean, I I thought, you know, the steal earlier in the game was a big play. Um, and then the steal late just, uh, you know, I think it's just an instinctive play. He's, he's you know, uh, incredible defender and strong hands and got in there and took it. And, you know, I think, you know, probably uh, most times you want to just pull it out and run the clock, but Drew and Giannis in a two-on-one and just to put two points on the board, um, you know, it's, it's uh, I think just, you know, trusting their instincts, trusting them, um, you know, Giannis getting a bucket and uh, putting us up, you know, I, I think that made it four or, um, you know, five. And, but, uh, you know, they just, they're, they're playing, they're competing and that's what uh, we need. Obviously when you guys got Drew, you knew what kind of defender he was, but I mean, this is 40 minutes a night, Paul and Booker, just what have you seen from this series, especially it didn't start out well, but now he's kind of found a groove. Yeah, no, I mean, I think, you know, his ability to impact the ball, just make, make everybody uncomfortable. Um, you never know when he might, you know, get a steal, get a, get a deflection. Um, I think it all just adds up. And, uh, you know, he, he had a huge stretch there. Um, and I think his stretch was maybe the third quarter. But, all you know, all three of the guys, you know, Giannis, Chris, Drew, all making plays defensively, stepping up offensively. Um, but, yeah, Drew's, Drew's impact defensively, um, you know, it's a big part of the reason why he's such a good fit with us. Rohan, you're on the right. Uh, Mike, going back to that steal, uh, it was a pretty risky play. I mean, Booker's doubled in the paint. Drew's coming off his man. Is that a situation you guys go over normally? I mean, you mentioned it was an ex- instinctive play. Is that a situation you've kind of gone over in the past, him, you know, making the gamble for that kind of steal? No. Um, you know, again, I think just trust in their instincts. And, um, you know, he can cover a lot of ground both directions. And um, you know, I thought there was a, a good crowd. There was a lot of activity around Booker. And, um, you know, so it's it's one of those things. That's the game. That's the way the game's played. You know, if uh, Booker kicks it and, um, they make a shot, then we might feel differently. But, um, you know, players have to make plays, and Drew made a huge play there. And I, I think that's what we want from our guys. And just a quick follow-up. Obviously, the game tightened a lot in the, la- in the last two minutes after you had that big lead. At any point, do you have a conversation with your guys about keeping their composure in that moment, not getting caught up in their run? Or, you know, does that ever come up in a moment like that? Uh, I mean, I, I think they just, you know, they've, they've been in a lot of um, close games. Um, it's a very mature group. Um, there's a lot of confidence, um, you know. So, you know, I think it's just it's, there's a natural poise um, with the group, and we don't necessarily, you know, talk about it, but you can feel it in the huddles. Tim on the left. Mike, you guys have been waiting for Chris to have a – or for Drew to have a game like that offensively. You know, in the start of the second quarter when you had that group in there without Giannis, what did you see that allowed everybody to get going, in particular his play there, to kind of get you guys back in the game? Yeah, you know, I, I thought there was a couple stops, and, um, you know, he was able to just, you know, get to some good spots. I think Brooke and Bobby coming and screening for him in transition. And, um, you know, it's always – it's it's it usually starts with our defense. That group, I thought, would, you know, played really well defensively. and. 
Connington, you know, hit some big threes. I think, you know, he was in that stretch, but you know, Drew, I think just felt like, uh, you know, they, they'd made every shot in the first quarter and we felt like it could, you know, balance out, but to start the third with Giannis out and Brooke and Bobby as our bigs and Drew just to, to get going. Um, I think it's just, you know, the, the screening on the ball, him attacking, um, you know, that's, that's usually what, what creates it for us. Melissa in the middle. Speaking of that first quarter, obviously the Suns came out blazingly hot. I'm curious, did you or did one of the players say something to kind of like turn the tide before the second quarter? No, I mean, I don't, but I mean, we did, we did just kind of, you know, acknowledge like they've, they've shot it incredibly well. Um, You know, if you've been in a lot of basketball games, those things can kind of even out. And, uh, you know, if they could keep shooting it at that clip, it was going to be a tough night. But we felt like defensively we could get better. We could limit them a little bit more. Um, and then offensively, if we're, if we're getting stops, and that's when we're at our best. So there was just – and there was a moment where it's just, you know, they played well. You know, you acknowledge it and say we got a lot of time left. There's a lot of clock. Um, let's just start getting stops and playing. Over to Peter on Zoom. Next question will be from David Aldridge. Bud, you, you had a, a – ultra big lineup on at times with Middleton at point. I wonder what, what, what did you guys see to get that lineup on the floor tonight? Yeah. Um, you know, I think there was, you know, the first quarter, um, they threw a big punch, um, a little bit of foul trouble for drew. Um, so I think, um, you know, our substitutions got just a little bit kind of off, um, giving drew a little bit of a break with the second foul. Giannis played the whole first quarter. Um, and so then, you know, as we talked about a second ago, we, we rested Giannis and then it was time to give Drew a little bit of a break. You know, he's doing so much defensively and Giannis and Chris are such great ball handlers. We just decided to let it roll um, with those two guys kind of handling the ball handling while Drew just took a quick break, um, you know, kind of mid second quarter or, or whenever that was that we had that big group out there. Over to Jim here on the right. Hey, Mike, um, going back to the second quarter, you know, you go on an 11-3 run, money calls timeout. Was there a thought there? I mean, I would imagine normally keeping Giannis on the bench is not the first thing. I mean, did you have to kind of fight that a little bit because how well that group was going? What was your, I guess, decision-making there in that timeout specifically? Yeah, you know, that group had a good had a good run. And, um, you know, to let them go um, and and to, to know what we need from Giannis at the end of the game. Um, so, you know, if you can steal some stretches where the, the team is playing well and he gets a break, um, you know, that's, 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 you know, um, important for us to find and you, you're never sure, but it just, you know, hopefully we could keep that momentum and, and we could send them to the table quickly. Um, uh, but that group just continued to play well. And then I felt like he sat at the table for quite a while and, and we kind of continued the run. And so he got an even longer break. You would have to win one here to win an NBA championship, um, going home now three, two, uh, I, I, can you speak to what that means and obviously what kind of setup you have here in a couple of days off to do that. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm going home to our fans, going home to Milwaukee, um, you know, is a great, great opportunity for us, but it's, you got to go out and play. Um, you know, it, it's at this point, you know, you could feel it tonight. Um, the high level basketball on both sides of it, it's going to be the same in game six. Um, both teams are going to come out. Um, expect, you know, really, really good basketball. And we're going to have to compete defensively. We have to make plays, play together. Um, it's, it's more about that, but it's, it's to be going home to our fans, 
Um, five serves has been rocking. Um, it's been huge for us. We're excited for our opportunity in game six. Sam in the middle. But you talk about it a lot, but Giannis's ability to stay in the moment and, and when you're missing free throws and when the crowd's getting after you to not lose the aggression, you know, and, and he misses those too late, still is running the floor and, and Drew finds him for the oop. He just seems to be in this place where the outside stuff, even if he's falling short in certain areas, doesn't get to him. I mean, how incredibly important is that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think um, he's he's just a great competitor. Um, he wants to do anything to win, and he's not worried about the noise or worried about – he just – he is so incredibly focused on winning and making plays for his teammates and delivering. And, um, you know, he's really worked on, you know, all of that kind of the mental side and, and staying um, in a good place. And, um, you know, it, it, I, I think a couple of free throws, you know, they were good. They felt good, looked good. And he just keep. We keep saying it. The more he gets to the line, the better. We love it when he gets there. He's going to make a bunch of them, and um, you know we believe in him, and we just believe in the competitor. He's going to make plays that help us win. Eric up front. Uh, I was going to speak of composure as well. It, first quarter, you guys have seven turnovers, and then it felt like all the ball handlers really handled that double team that they were throwing. I, I felt like at the start it didn't go so well, but then they kind of figured it out. What did you see from your guys to handle that double and handle that? Yeah, I mean, you know, the the aggressiveness um, for them coming out of the gate, uh, you know, they were up and in and just, you know, trying to make um, make it difficult. And, you know, there's things that we have to do to, you know, per, you know, Chris, we got to screen for him, Giannis screen, Drew attack. Um, I think they just got into, you know, a little bit of better understanding of what, what we need to, you know, play some handoffs and different things like that. And uh, they understood it. They felt it, I think, after the first quarter and then they executed well. Over to Peter on Zoom for two more questions. Next question will be from Stephen Watson, followed by Davide. Hey, Coach. When you think about the opportunity that you guys have in front of you, what this means to the city of Milwaukee, what is you going to take advantage of the moment? You know, when you think about what this means to this city and to this team, what are you looking forward to about the moment? I mean, we just got to go play game six. Um, it's it's a great opportunity to go home. You know, we'll keep our keep our routines. We'll prepare. We'll get ready. Um, you just got to go play basketball. You got to find a way to win a game. And um, the fact that we're home and uh, we have the support of our fans, the support of our city, it's important. It's going to be meaningful. Um, but you got to go make plays. You got to make things happen defensively, make things happen offensively. And, you know, our guys, I think, are, you know, they'll, they'll be ready to do that. Hey, Coach, um, how much do you think the experience you guys had in the past two years in this playoffs help you make it to this point in which you guys are one win away from the championship? Yeah, I mean, you know, every team has a different journey. Players have different journeys, um, you know, so I certainly feel like, uh, you know, what we've been through this playoffs, um, you know, um, every team is you, you feel like uh, you're better because of the, the competition you just went through and what we've been through the last couple, two, three years. Um, you know, it, it's it's prepared us, um, you know, to be in this moment and and uh, and play and, and execute both ends of the court. Um You know, so I think it's just part of our journey, and, and we still got a ways to go. Bucks head coach Mike Budenholzer, after his team beat the Phoenix Suns in Game Five of the NBA Finals, one twenty-three to one nineteen, the final score. That sets up Tuesday night's Game Six. It was the prophecy that was spoken first by Brandon Jennings. We just gonna go out there and play basketball and win. And win? Yeah. 
In how many games? Six. We're going, to be, we're going to win the six. And I don't know if Brandon Jennings is going to be at Fiserv Forum coming up on Tuesday night. I'm just letting you know. The Bucks are pretty good about these things. If you want to get your crowd whipped up into a frenzy, you bring number three back. Bucks in six. He spoke it. It was in 2013. It didn't happen. Now it can. And on Home soil. Never has happened before in the history of Wisconsin sports. Has the team won a major championship on home soil? Super Bowls have been won elsewhere. Super Bowl one in Los Angeles. Super Bowl two in Miami. Super Bowl 31 in New Orleans. Super Bowl 45 in Dallas. The 1977 NCAA championship for the Marquette, then Warriors. That was won in Atlanta. The Braves won the 1957 World Series at Yankee Stadium. It has never happened before. It can on Tuesday night. We are ready for it. We've been waiting for it. We've earned this, damn it. Hopefully it'll happen. And, of course, we'll be talking about it right here on the Doug Russell Podcast. And also, uh, we'll be talking about it on 97.3 The Game. And on Tuesday, I know that we'll be out there all day long, uh, starting at 3 o'clock with Drew and KB. Uh, live inside the Deer District, so you want to be sure uh, that you're listening uh, wherever you listen to the game. You can listen to it on the uh, iHeartRadio app as well. But, of course, we'll be talking about it uh, right afterwards, right here on the Doug Russell Podcast as well. Find us on our social medias. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter, at Doug Russell Pod. Uh, you can also uh, find us on YouTube. You can find us on Facebook. Just do a little searching here and there uh, for all of our shows that we do. Uh, here on the Doug Russell Podcast. You can find us on our website. It is www.dougrusselpod.com. Again, www.dougrusselpod.com. We're close as a fan base, folks. We are very, very close. Hopefully it comes to fruition. Bucks and six. That'll do it for this edition of the Doug Russell Podcast. We will talk to you after Tuesday night's game, win or lose. Hopefully with a win. Thanks for listening to the Doug Russell Podcast. We'll talk to you next time.